Hello and welcome to the 16th episode of the Football Media Podcast on the Team of John O'Shea's platform. I'm John McKenzie and across the course of the new season, I'm going to be bringing you a weekly podcast that seeks to open up the often murky underworld of the football media. This week I'm speaking to Benjamin Roberts, author of the book Gunshots and Goalposts, a history of football in Northern Ireland. In the course of our conversation, we discuss his experiences of writing a first book, the self-publishing process, and what he's doing differently as he prepares his second book for more traditional publication. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends, subscribe, rate and review on iTunes in order to help us gain exposure, and if you're a social media person, follow us on Twitter at FootyMediaPod. Next week we will be speaking to Joe Cable about lecturing, journalism, Raheem Sterling and racism in the media. But before that, it's Benjamin Roberts, book publishing and the history of football in Northern Ireland. Enjoy. I'm joined today by Ben Roberts, freelance author who wrote the book Gunshots and Goalposts, The Story of Northern Irish Football. Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thanks. Pleasure to join you. The first question that I ask on these episodes is always about the guests themselves giving some sort of context about how they fit into the football media. Now, we've just been talking before we started the recording about what it is that you do, and it's very different to working in the sports media industry in particular. So tell us a little bit about what you do and then give us some sort of background of how you ended up writing this book on the history of Northern Irish football. As you say, uh, my day job isn't within the, the sports media. I actually work in music publishing, but uh, I ended up writing this book when I started it two and a half years ago, Gunshots and Goalposts, and it really just came out of, I'd gone to a, a symposium at the university nearby, the University of Brighton, which was launching 1966 and all that, which was, a, I think, a collaborative effort. I think Joe Kennedy wrote one of the chapters in there. And um, I was sitting there um, that afternoon and just thinking, well, this is this is a really interesting product and it looks like a really interesting book. And it was, you know, a book that I, I bought at the end of the symposium and thought, is there something that I could write about that perhaps hasn't already been done? Something that, that I could try my hand at, you know, perhaps just even for a blog. And so I, I kind of went away and thought about it and ended up coming up with the idea of, of writing about at the time much more narrowly defined piece about northern irish football because it was just it, this was in may so it's just coming up to euro 2016 and obviously northern ireland had qualified for that and my dad was born in northern ireland his dad was born in northern ireland his dad was born in northern ireland so we I'm the sort of first, the first one not to be born there for, for, well, when I say Northern Ireland, you know, Ireland, the northern part of Ireland, given that some of those were, were born when, born when there was no Northern Ireland, you know, for a, a couple of centuries, basically. So it, it wasn't a, an area that I was totally unfamiliar with. And it wasn't necessarily an area that had, um, that had been widely covered before in the way that, you know, just about any moment in English footballing history has been. So in terms of the Northern Irish context or the broader Irish context, as you rightly point out, I, I presume that you you follow Northern Ireland as, a, as an international team, roughly. I do, yeah. It's sort of uh, been a, a sort of ongoing kind of <laughs> love affair. As football always is, right? Yeah, with the... Uh, 
the difficult moments thrown into that as well. <laughs> but yeah, I, I remember as a probably well, was, uh, in 2005 when Northern Ireland played England and going to watch that in a pub in in the southeast of England with my Northern Ireland shirt on thinking, well, I'm probably going to get you know quite handily beaten here and then obviously uh winning with that Healy goal and you know well actually if I'm going to carry on this night I better pop home and get changed uh, <laughs> before I uh before I head out into town so you said that the idea was originally to write a quite narrow article on on Northern Irish football how did that become a book so I wrote a sort of maybe six or seven thousand word blog post and just put it up on on my own website at the time and thought well you know that was not a bad thing to have done and I got some positive feedback and it was put to me by my dad actually that you know maybe I could expand that six or seven thousand into a 20 or 25 thousand and and put it online and sell it for you know a quid or two quid or something as a as a kindle short or some other form of you know very long read but not quite a book type format so really it was then okay maybe maybe I'll triple this in length and see where that gets us to and it very quickly became clear that it was going to be a lot longer than that and and it was going to be a lot more comprehensive than that and if I was going to do it then it was going to be a a, a wide-ranging thing and I think it ended up coming in at about 82,000 words. And the result of that was gunshots and goalposts. Could you give us firstly a little bit of just the flavour of, of the book itself in terms of what is it that you were trying to do with the book? Was it sim- Were you simply trying to do an exhaustive history of football as it had happened in Northern Ireland? And obviously that, that ties in with Ireland itself. And as you're saying, you know, those boundaries and borders as we're seeing to this day are still fairly contentious things. Is there a sort of common thread that is running through that as well? And it's, it's a, is, it, is it just a history book or is there a sort of argument that runs through it as well? I'd say, uh, broadly speaking, it's, it is... It is a history book. I guess it's not just a history book and it's not just a football book and it's not by any means the sort of, you know, this match was played on this day and then three days later this match, you know, there's some bits that are that perhaps glossed over a little bit more than others because my my intention was to, I mean, with the title as well, the gunshots part of it was to focus on a lot more of the political side of the game in in Northern Ireland and the game in Ireland and and some of those aspects and and how they played into the football itself and you know who was allowed to play for who and and, and that sort of thing so you know it, it covers the major footballing moments but within a, a much broader context of the events of the time. Talk to us about the the research that you must have had to end up doing because it 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 is and I really enjoyed the book and it is so well researched and coming from a background in academia in many respects it feels like a sort of almost like a popular level version of a book that someone who was an academic might write so tell us about how you managed to fit in all of that research and did you end up learning a huge amount about about the game just from writing as well was it did you come at this from a position where you knew most of the stuff already or did you end up learning a huge amount yourself 
there was certainly a lot that that I didn't know um, before I started. You know, I, I've been to quite a bit of um, football in in Northern Ireland um, with with my dad having grown up there, and particularly as a a child and young teenager going there um, a lot at certain times in the year for sort of Easter and weddings and Christmas and that sort of thing. But yeah, actually sitting down and and then kind of opening up almost just following my nose really and finishing one thing and and looking then okay well you know what did that reference and what what would it be uh you know how do I place that in context and and where do I go from from here and 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 I was lucky um in one sense that at the time that I started it um I was basically underemployed so I had a, a couple of days in my week that that I wasn't working basically so um I could really devote a lot of time to to looking into things and and as I say just kind of following my nose you know wherever the the kind of narrative took me so you're doing a huge amount of research presumably a lot of that actually covers newspaper cuttings and clippings etc from the time period so did you one did you have to go into the british library or go across the northern ireland to do any sort of first level research like that and then we'll I'll, we'll move on from there to talk a little bit about the the northern irish context for the media anyway so but tell us tell us a little bit about how much um actual original research you were doing in in libraries looking up uh, press clippings yeah, there was a certain amount of that. There was, uh, I think, at least uh, one trip to the British Library and a, a trip to Northern Ireland, where uh, I'm still uh, lucky to have probably about 300 relatives, <laughs> including my aunt in uh, in Carrick Fergus. So there was a lot of reading, but but a little bit of, sort of on the ground and stuff a bit closer to the story. A question that I often ask people when they are on the show is just uh, out of interest, asking about the, the context of the media in those countries. And I'm assuming that in Northern Ireland, there's a sort of funny mixture of inheriting the the mainstream media pundits from England, because obviously the English game offers a sort of background against a lot of what happens in Northern Ireland. And I know that a lot of Northern Irish people are Liverpool fans or uh, Man United fans or even Leeds fans, actually, um, is one of the things that I picked up. Yeah. So if I were to ask you, you know, is there a Northern Irish football media covering the English game? Is that the case or is it simply that these guys in Northern Ireland are covering the the Irish leagues and and they're leaving the English stuff to the to the guys over in England. There is a, a Northern Irish media covering the English game to the extent that it gets clicks. <laughs> so you know if there's if there's a, a a Northern Irish context to to reflect on on the English game, then you know that that's going to be that's going to be made. You know if there's a you know you've got Bailey Peacock Farrell, um, you know a Northern Irish man playing in England. Those sorts of things are are, are a way into that. But in terms of a, a more dedicated Northern Irish media towards the English game, then then that's not really something that that that's too widespread. So the majority of it is sort of tracing the players, particularly Northern Irish players, across the English leagues. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the actual experience of writing the book. So you've decided that you're gonna you're gonna do this sort of longer form version of of what you've already written and put up on your website. What did it look like practically the the actual writing experience? Did you have quite a disciplined approach to the writing process, or did you sort of uh, do it as and when you could manage it? 
I have to say it wasn't that disciplined, to be honest. And, <laughs> and well, well, we'll get on to how that's changed a little, a little bit, <laughs> I think. But I, I was sort of extremely diligent with the research to the extent that I had far too much research and some of it was completely irrelevant and useless. And I, I thought, you know, why did I waste three days doing that? Um, you know, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna put that in print. So there was a, a a sort of um a, a bit of a chaotic um aspect to it there in in terms of when it got to the the actual writing of it i i probably did uh two or three months of fairly solid writing where i i might might have got 5000 words done in a week and then there was quite a a long hiatus um over over the winter sort of 2016 into 17 where i i think i just lost my mojo slightly <laughs> and you know it, i still knew that i was going to finish it at some point and it was still a going concern but you know i'd just be doing a bit here and there and and i thought well, i'd sort of convinced myself that i was still working on it by doing even more research and it was getting sort of ever more tenuous in its connection to football or northern ireland um, <laughs> and then maybe last february i thought right i'm knuckling down now you know I, i'm about halfway through this maybe a, maybe i was a bit more than halfway through it and and i'm gonna get this done we're gonna get this out and and it and it kind of started to take a bit more shape from there and and i think kind of through the spring last year it did become a lot more disciplined and eventually by about last may i'd i'd got a, a first draft done which was which was very satisfying talk to us about maybe the structuring process as well because i know that one of the biggest things that that faces anyone writing a book is is the process of getting to a point which which you know what the structure is going to be and i think once you've you've got the research and you know the structure it sort of writes itself as the general impression that i'm given so did you did you have to spend a lot of time at the beginning structuring or did you hit a point in the middle where you're like right i need to change the the ordering around of this i wish i had um <laughs> and perhaps i wish i'd been slightly more narrow in in terms of the the focus of it and it could have been football during the trouble you know that that sort of thing but once I'd started you know I'd uh, I'd started and I was just going to carry on with having already done all of the the sort of investigations and research and stuff into it so at that point I think I was sort of aided slightly by the fact that in my mind it was going to be a sort of in terms of time it was going to be a linear thing so it was going to start in 1878 and it was going to end in 2017 so I didn't have to think well is this is this chapter going to go before this one because um, the passing of time <laughs> kind of um, taken care <laughs> of that for me but I sort of do wish that that I had um, sat down for for a few days and 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 kind of delineated that a bit more and said right this bit is going to be here and then that's you know that chapter is going to end on this and instead I sort of had to do it at the end and bits to the extent that they could be were sort of shunted around a little bit which is I think always going to happen. 
in the end you decided to self-publish and I guess part of the planning process at least the planning process that I'm going through at the moment with my book is that because you're you, I'm writing proposals to agents essentially means I have to think about the structure a lot more so maybe I guess not going through that process meant that the, the structure was a little bit more fluid for you but talk to us a little bit about the actual the decision to do the self-publishing um, where did where did that come from it seems as though what you're telling me is sort of like you got to a point and you're like oh well the next obvious step is to do this oh the next obvious step is to do this so the Presumably, you reached a point where you're like, this could well be published. So probably around October 2016, again, it was was my dad who has a, a background in book publishing. He said, oh, you know, maybe you could maybe you could see if you could get a publisher for this. And I said, oh, you know, maybe I could. But I, at that point, I, I, and, until I finished it, I didn't know if I was going to finish it, if, that's, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. And once I'd... I'm very near the beginning of the whole process. Um, I thought, actually, uh, we've got the the resources between myself um, and my dad to to um, we've got the the sort of knowledge base to to be able to do this ourselves. And all right, it you know it would probably get to a wider audience if if it went to a publisher. But part of the thing for me, uh, when I say part of, I think a lot of it was right. I want this to come out quite soon after I finished it. <laughs> because of you know of the sort of satisfaction of that and the you know that was kind of what was spurring me on to 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 get it done what i didn't want was to finish it and then to have i don't know a a year pass and then it come out and and it it feel like disjointed so with our sort of as i say my dad um, has quite an extensive background in in book publishing used to manage a, a a a book department that put out 36 books a year so he he knew where we needed to go to to get it printed and you know he was able to give me some uh advice about the typesetting so that I could I'd put that into a program myself and and kind of did that myself and then he uh has had a distributor um that he puts some books through so we knew that in the sort of unlikely event that uh, shops did want it, then they could get it. And it turned out that lots of shops did want it. <laughs> so uh, we put that out last um, last August, um, expecting that it would perhaps sell 100 or 200 copies in its lifetime. So we're about to put an order in to printer company down in Devon. Um, we were just going to order 100 or might get to the point after a few months where we get another hundred done. But just before we did that, a uh, the uh, uh, distributor um, got in touch with us and said, oh, we've actually had an order for 72 already <laughs> uh, from Waterstones um, because I'd written to Waterstones and said in Northern Ireland and said that I was bringing it out and might be something they were interested in. And I don't know, they probably had access to some of the Amazon pre-sales data and thought, oh, actually, you know, some of the Nielsen data. So they ordered 72. So we thought we better get more than 100 done. So we got 150 of those printed and sent half of them to them and kept half of them for ourselves. And uh, yeah, it, it sort of took off from there. Is it rude to ask an author how many they think they've sold? Is it like asking a lady their age or something? Not that we live in that world anymore, I suppose. In terms of bona fide paid for, we'll definitely get the money or we've already got the money. It's sold just over uh, 1,500 
since it came out last August, almost evenly split between print books and ebooks, which have largely uh, been on the Kindle. Which for for self published, uh, essentially a self. I mean, it's got you know, it's got a publisher's logo on it because my dad has a, a sort of small publisher sort of imprint that he's that he's created so it, you know it's not strictly speaking not exactly self-published but most i think the figure of self-published books is that they usually do about 200 so we've been really happy with that yeah that's to my ingenue ears that sounds like a really good print run but let's talk a little bit about the editing as well because obviously one of the benefits that you have from having a publisher is that you can use their editorial did you do all the editing yourself not all of it my mum is a, a trained proofreader <laughs> uh, it's partly how my mum and dad met in fact because uh, they met at work in the 80s and part of my mum's job was was proofreading and she's trained in that has been for a very long time so she was sort of ironing out some of the grammatical um, issues and some of the <laughs> uh, the sort of punctuation issues in there my dad was an editor himself not of books strictly speaking although I think that was you know sometimes part of his job but he also edited what was at the time and still is since it's um, merged with another magazine the the largest selling Christian magazine in the UK so he sort of knows his way around a sentence so there was a, a few when I sent the I sort of printed the printed it all out for him and sent it to him and then he sent it back to me a few weeks later with question marks at the end of a lot of the paragraphs and you know you can't say that that's libelous and that sort of (laughs) um, thing around it yeah there was a little a little help there probably and I can sort of say this saving the knowledge that he probably won't listen to this but I think he (laughs) He probably didn't put as much effort into it as something that he would have been paid for. <laughs> and probably one of the things that I, you know, I think the way to go is to pay somebody to do it, which at the time I, I couldn't really do. But I did the next best thing. So, Which was being born into a family of people who have extensive experience of publishing by the sounds of it. Yeah. <laughs> In terms of doing the promo then, I guess most of it was just off your own back. You were just contacting, like you said, Waterstones and other places like that. Did you do many podcasts? Did you do uh, any TV stuff, any radio stuff? I did a couple of radio things, U105 um, in Northern Ireland, which I think is the ITV-owned radio station in Northern Ireland. I think it was supposed to, which could have been quite quite hilarious if I had, but was supposed to do something on the Nolan show, um, <laughs> but they... Uh, after expressing a lot of interest went went a little quiet on me um and then i did yeah a whole bunch of podcasts the outside right and then i did a series of videos for tifo uh which just came about me just sending them a copy of the book and them saying oh you know why don't we why don't we work together on this and and do a i think it was just going to be one video and i i said well why don't i do four can be a, a short series which was another interesting avenue that I hadn't really considered. Did you find much of a, a bump after those those sorts of things? Did they make much of a difference? I have to say that almost any day any publicity comes out or any video goes up or any extract was published. Or Earlier this year, I was on Sky 
talking about one of the clubs in West Belfast. I seem to sell nothing that day or nothing the day <laughs> after. Uh, it seems to have some kind of inverse effect on on sales. <laughs> so uh, maybe I should just keep my mouth shut. <laughs> You've got another book in the offing. After all of that experience, you, you decided that you wanted to carry on with the, the book writing. So tell us a little bit about your next book. For a year, I just didn't think about writing books <laughs> because it's... I, in one, I mean, there's part of it that's really enjoying, but there's part of it is just this monkey on your back, and you don't feel fully satisfied until it's done, and and that can be a slightly frustrating way to to carry on, really. And I was getting married this year as well, so uh, <laughs> it's funny. I, yeah, I'll be really honest about this. I kind of had a few ideas, and I'd knocked them around, and you know thought could I do that you know started the early stages of a bit of research and then when it didn't really catch fire in my mind I thought well obviously that's not the not the thing to do and then um, a few days after I'd come back from my honeymoon in September I went to some friends house warming party and there was somebody there guy that I know and and he uh, um, he was asking me about my book and and he sort of been quite encouraging about it the whole way through you know I was telling him about it and and as I was leaving that that housewarming he said um you know make sure you make sure you write more books um <laughs> and four or five days later I was I had to walk down to um, the office space that I rent it takes me about 40 minutes to get down here down this sort of pathway on this disused railway line and as I was getting fairly close to my office I thought Man, I've got I've got an idea here, <laughs> and I I don't know. I just had a feeling that this time it was the right idea, and I was in the right place to to write it. And I'd I'd given it enough time off from from any sort of serious writing to to do it. Um, so I, I got into my office, sort of thought, well, the actual work I'm supposed to be doing um, can wait for ten minutes. So I'm just going to make a few <laughs> notes here. And uh, I email a couple of people who might be interesting people to interview, uh, interesting subjects. And and that was it. I think that was the 28th of September of of this year. So, yeah, it's, uh, I think, tentatively going to be called Bottled. And it, it's going to be a sort of exploration of, of football um, and alcohol and, and alcoholism within the game players within the game some of the famous ones you know that we'd all think of the the kind of mersons and adams and gascoins but but a look at you know some of the lower league players and you know how that's obviously the experience of treatment and and that sort of thing is is quite different and for for them than it might be for for somebody who is in the spotlight and their uh, you know how they access that financially could be quite different as well i was wondering is there any sort of overlap with the the fact that you covered northern irish football because i know you were mentioning to me that some of this comes out of the fact that a lot of the football a lot of football clubs started out as as um religious groupings who were sort of organized around temperance things like that so is, is there is there going to be much overlap between the first and the second book not really, because this this one, I think I thought, well, it needs to focus or I decided that it needed to be very tightly focused. So it's going to be on English football. Obviously, there's been some famous or at least one famous Northern Irish player 
who uh, might have uh, been a bit fond of the drink. So there'll be an overlap in that sense. Although with with that first book and this second one, I'm very conscious and very much don't want them to be a sort of uh, George Best um, hagiography (laughs) um, of any sort. Because I think with both of those subjects, you could write an entire book about him in those contexts. But uh, speaking as as a, a, a recovering alcoholic myself, I just find him quite an uncomfortable character. So, in terms of the actual writing of the book, obviously you're doing things quite differently in the sense that you've got you've got a publisher. We can't talk about who it is yet, but you have got a publisher, so it will be will be appearing. What other things are going to be different about this book to the first one? What things are you going to be doing differently, and 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 how do you think it's going to look in in the end, having gone through these different these different routes? Obviously, there's aspects of it that I quite thankfully have to be less concerned about, <laughs> uh, which would be nice because I was obviously I didn't design the cover myself on the other one, but uh, um, you know. Uh, paid somebody to do that and we're sort of quite quite heavily involved in that and we'll obviously be somewhat involved this time but but not to the same extent and obviously in terms of the way it, it will be edited will be quite different i think the way that i'm writing it has um it feels very different um from from how i did the last one i, I think i've been a lot more focused this time by necessity because as I said earlier, I was in a situation a few years ago where I wasn't working five days a week, and now I am very much working in in another job five days a week, and I have some caring responsibilities as well. So, in one sense, it was a pretty stupid stupid thing <laughs> to do, <laughs> but but in obviously in another sense, it's an extremely fulfilling thing to do, and just the experience of of that that first one and just some of the avenues that that's opened up and uh, you know not to sound too too twee or corny but the things that that doing that kind of taught me about myself and and the things that uh, you know doing that book was was proving something to myself I think uh, you know whether very consciously or, or not um, it definitely was because I I'd struggled to to finish a lot of things um before that you know i'd have great ideas that ended up kind of being half done or or not done at all and just in terms of any long form writing that i'd done before you know with university i really had to grind it out and and i ended up actually not graduating from university so to then have this this thing well before i sort of cut some bits out and edited out some of the rubbish it was ninety thousand words so to to kind of sit there and and have that it it was the sort of enormously pleasing thing what about in terms of like the practicalities of things are there certain lessons that you learned writing the first time around that you've you're going to iron out yeah i've been far more focused and structured this time so you know it's just been sort of precision right I need to speak to that person. I, I'm going to arrange that now. We're going to get that in the diary. And in terms of kind of background research and, and that sort of thing, if I only need to read a chapter, I only read that chapter. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not sort of diving into the whole book 
Um, and uh, it, as I say, it's partly out of necessity. Um, I just don't have as much time. So it's about making the time and making use of that time. And partly that this time there is very much a, a, a hard deadline on it. You know, it's got to be finished um, three or four months before it comes out. So that that kind of focuses the mind um, somewhat. I think actually having this space that I have now where I work that I didn't have before I, I wrote a lot of the the first one in sort of cafes and places like that which uh, if you know if that's all there is then that's fine but I find it very hard to to write at home when you know when there's other people around so actually having this this office space that that I have now I can come here and I, I just find it all flows it flows a bit more easily so uh, I've found so far that this is this has been a, a, a much more straightforward um, methodical process I think I've probably partly through learning lessons from the first book you know I'm not I'm not repeating some of the same mistakes um, and uh, probably just a bit more of an organized person than I was even two years ago so <laughs> We'll start moving on towards the sort of more general questions then. I would just want a more general question on why it is that you think book writing is as an important medium. That's a sort of highfalutin question. And I think what you'll probably end up saying is, well, you know, it's sort of something you fell into doing. But um, having gone through that experience, what do you think is the is the most important aspect of book book writing or even book reading for that for that matter? Why is it that you decided to write books and you have carried on with that with that sort of process? I'm not very good at writing short things <laughs> uh i just yeah uh, you know you t tell me that it needs to be 500 words and and i'll end up sending you something that's a thousand words and it will only have covered sort of the first two years of a 10-year stretch that i was supposed to be concentrating on uh which has which has happened uh, a little bit with the videos i've done for tifo and politely been reminded that i you know i did have a, a brief to write to and uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know to stick to it so uh, yeah in, in in that in that sense like you say i i did kind of fall into it i i i, th I think contextualizing you know there's obviously part of the the media economy these days is focused around uh short pieces and and clicks and and that's not a criticism of of you know the people that have to write that way because that's that's you know that's how you make money and get eyeballs and you know i i i, I read a lot of that that stuff but but i quite enjoy the experience of of immersing myself in into a topic whether that's you know, reading about it or, um, you know, occasionally writing about something and, and taking the time to, to fully explore something, um, is just something that creatively appeals to me. Just one final question, uh, a question about the future, uh, particularly sort of how do you see book publishing going? And I know that maybe this is an unfair question to, to ask you because, because obviously you've sort of, you ended up in, in that sort of area, sort of almost sideways. How do you see the, the world of book publishing going and, and how do you see yourself fitting into it? Do you see even more books than the two that you're, that you've got behind you? Well, sort of behind you <laughs> yeah <laughs> in the midst and behind you uh, at the moment do you, do you see more coming after that i'd like to think so yeah i feel like the the sort of self-published book was was me in the non-leagues 
um <laughs> and and getting a publisher um is me sort of entering uh the league um <laughs> and uh and you know i'd like to stick around in the league and and see where that takes me uh, in, in terms of where book publishing's going i think uh it, I, I there's probably not too much that i can speak into that being fairly um, new to it uh, myself in, t- in terms of just having sent off a submission literally I don't know three weeks ago and um, being really lucky to get get a reply four or five days later and 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 be sitting here being able to say that that now I think the indie publishers the, there's three that that I have in mind here I think um, there's probably loads more that, that have escaped uh, my mind, but the indie sports publishers, um, Ockley, De Coubertin and Pitch, um, I think they've, they've obviously got a really valuable role there in being able to, to a certain extent, not have to have a, a sort of guaranteed bestseller where some of the major publishers would, um, you know, only take something that they they knew was gonna gonna shift, um, you know, fifteen thousand units or twenty thousand units or fifty thousand units. Um, so they're only gonna publish a, a sort of perhaps somebody that's got a broadsheet writing career behind them or or a long history of publishing behind them. Um, whereas others can or not take risks per se, but um, they you know they are speaking to to somebody uh recently um a writer friend of mine uh not a sports writer but um somebody who's been been published quite widely and he he said that um he's trying to think who which who it might be been with penguin it was one with one of the the major publishers and you know he's had this to my mind a pretty successful um book and um you know there's been a lot of spin-offs from that but he said for my next one for his next one he he's gone with uh, a very small publisher um with a very small advance because he thinks that as as somebody who isn't kind of you know with a lot of publishers now children's books and that sort of thing they'll publish a david walliams children's book rather than an established children's book author's book and with uh with this guy uh that i was talking to um who's who's had four or five books published and he said yeah with this with this uh new one he's gone with a smaller publisher because it won't get lost in their system um you know that obviously his books came out but they came out with not very much fanfare because these publishers were more concerned with the the sort of mega stars that they had on their roster um and he was almost an afterthought and his books kind of did well by almost by accident or by the sheer strength of you know the the quality of them um but you know if they'd had that extra push from a publisher they they could have been somewhere else so i think going in somewhere you know as he's done probably for his sixth book but but going somewhere where as he said if if i don't think they're doing it right i know the people in the office and i can shout at them <laughs> well thank you so much that was a much more comprehensive answer than you gave the impression that you were going to give when you started out so no thank you for that finally how can people get hold of gunshots and goalposts and the the book tentatively titled bottled how could or should people get a hold of those Gunshots and Goalposts um, is in Waterstones in Northern Ireland and 
in Glasgow and Air, I think, uh, <laughs> in Scotland, and in, I think, most branches of Eason's in Ireland, just sort of generally quite widely available in Ireland and Northern Ireland. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, you can get it most of the places. It's on the Waterstones website. It's on the Blackwell's website. So that's reasonably widely available. Bottled, if it <laughs> if it's actually called that by July, <laughs> will be available, so I'm told, in almost every branch of Waterstones across the UK and in most branches of WH Smith's and obviously all the other places you might buy books. And it will be available for pre-order through somewhere like Amazon, will it? Yeah, I'd imagine in the next two or three weeks it will be available. I've just sent the descriptions for Amazon off a couple of hours ago. So, uh, yeah, keep your eye out for that. guess the best place to find out about that is following your social media. So how can people do that? Probably the best thing to do is to follow me on Twitter, uh, where I'm at Benjamark R. Uh, so B-E-N-J-A Mark R. As I say, that's probably the best place to do it. Well, Benjamin, thank you very much for coming on today. I really thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, John. Thanks for listening to the Football Media Podcast with me, John McKenzie. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes or follow us on Twitter at Footy Media Pod. You can tune in next week to hear Joe Cable talk about lecturing journalism, Raheem Sterling and racism in the media. But until then, have a good week. Goodbye. Goodbye.